Welcome to On Aeon, a now award-winning podcast featuring conversations between colleagues on, well, Aeon. This week, we hear from Lori Golterman and Lambros Lambrew on the 2022 Executive Risk Survey. And now, this week's host, Eric Anderson. My name is Eric Anderson, and I've been with Aeon for over 20 years, and I currently serve as the president. Today, we're talking about Aeon's recent Executive Risk Survey. More than 800 CEOs and senior executives were surveyed, and the results provide an in-depth look at the top business leaders' view on risk. For the last two years, the COVID-19 pandemic and the related impacts have dominated the risk landscape. But now what's top of mind for global executives is the looming fear of recession and how to be best prepared for the interconnected risks they see today and on the horizon. With me today are Lambros Lambrew and Lori Golterman. Lambros has been with Aon for over 36 years and currently serves as Chief Executive Officer of our commercial risk solutions. Lambros has a unique insight to today's topic as the head of commercial risk. Lambros is having conversations with top business leaders and decision makers every day about managing increasingly volatile risks like geopolitical volatility, supply chain disruption, and macroeconomic pressures. Lori has been at Aon for over 29 years and currently serves as Aon's Chief Executive Officer of Enterprise Clients. Lori brings a unique client-focused view to the conversation, being very close to how the agendas of C-suites are evolving. Thanks for being here, Lambros and Lori. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you both a quick warm-up question. Today, we're talking about leaders and how they make decisions about risk in challenging times. So to kick us off, I'd like to ask, what well-known leader inspires you? Lambros, maybe we'll start with you. Thanks, Eric, and um, absolutely delighted to be here. Um, geez, that's a it's, a it's a tough question. So many people have stepped up over the last uh, over the last few years, but perhaps one that certainly caught my eye was uh, Jacinda Ardern, who's the 40th Prime Minister of New Zealand at the time, the world's youngest female head of government. And I guess what I've seen with Jacinda is someone who you know is a courageous and brave leader, really met challenges head on, and was particularly visible helping New Zealand navigate through COVID and being, quite frankly, one of the few Western nations to successfully contain the virus within their country. Um, but beyond that, you know, was, was you know, involved in, in the dealings in and around the Christchurch terrorist, uh, terrorist attack and just some of the issues that were associated with that. And then obviously being the first female leader to actually bring her baby to the UN General Assembly, which I thought was pretty cool as well. So uh, I think Jacinda Arden for me. That's awesome and a tough one to beat. Laura, how about you? <laughs> well, Lambros and Eric, I'm so happy to be here as well. That is a wonderful leader. Mine was a little bit different avenue. Uh, Serena Williams is one that I picked. I I admire her in so many ways. I, I have the love of, of tennis uh, in, in my blood as well, but I've been so amazed at watching her as an athlete rise to winning, being in the number one spot for over 300 weeks, 23 grand slams, and self-taught on a public court. I mean, Eric, you may not know it, but I started hitting tennis balls against my garage. So she clearly excelled to a height uh, that's admirable by many. But what I, I love is her also being a mom, uh, a wife, and, and now stepping into Serena Ventures, which is an amazing business where she's investing in diverse companies, over 60 startups. So uh, as I look at so many of her attributes that, that I admire, uh, Serena Williams was a, a great leader for me to uh, uh, represent here, Eric. 
Those are two fantastic. And thanks for sharing. Really enjoyed both of those. So why don't we just jump right in? So for question one, I'm interested to hear some of your top takeaways from Aon's executive risk survey. Mainly, what are some of the biggest things that leaders need to know about managing the risks as we head into this year? Lambros, why don't we start with you? Thanks, Eric. And, and I would say that certainly as in times of uncertainty and leading into greater degrees of uncertainty, one of the things that we saw in the survey, quite frankly, was embracing risk is the only option. Um, and when I think about some of the survey results and feedback that we got, 62% of very prepared leaders agreed that their company's appetite to address risk actually increased in response to the current macroeconomic conditions. And for companies that feel very prepared heading into a recession, which obviously there's a lot of commentary in and around that at the moment, addressing risk isn't really a choice. It's more a question of survival. And so, you know, in the survey, the prepared leaders their, their sort of their actions and, and, and their decisions are really not about hitting the brakes on long-term investments or ignoring long-term risks, even when facing the onset of a looming recession. And the pandemic sort of changed, I would say, the way, the, the way in which the best leaders think, highlighting the true interconnectedness of risks today. And we see that as the top five risks that all business leaders report that they're most focused on are inflation, uh, the potential for a financial crisis, energy supply, cyber attacks, and supply chain disruptions. So, um, so, and in addition to this, um, addressing these types of risks, again, what we heard from the very prepared leaders was that they're looking ahead and spending more relative time than, than other leaders on longer-term challenges like economic and social inequality and disruptive technologies. You know, I love that one comment you made there, Lambros, which it really isn't a choice, Risks are just something that we have to deal with as business leaders, and the success with which we do that often drives the success of the companies. Laura, what do you think? Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree with uh, both of you more. I, I'd probably add to that that companies are really looking at how can they integrate risk management into their growth plans and make sure that they've got that enterprise risk approach uh, to many of the things Lambros said that you just pointed out, navigating the headwinds of inflation and cost pressure, supply chain. And I think the biggest one I hear is that how that connects in with the talent strategies. So uh, to me, these are these all jumped out in, in the survey and, and a couple of, of data points that hit me. Uh, for years now, we've seen cyber as one of the top risks. It's, it's sitting at number four, still in the top 10. But what jumped up seven points now in the top 10 is protecting their intellectual property. So as you think about where leaders are spending their time and how companies are changing the shape of their strategy to be more digital, uh, intellectual property is, is, is a part of so many companies. And I would bet they don't even realize all the ways that we're creating a market around protecting intellectual property. So I was thrilled to see that IP jump. The other was that 61% of those prepared le leaders believe that all risks are interconnected and they cannot be managed in a silo. And the most successful companies handle that risk regardless of where it comes from. And certainly we learned that uh, through the pandemic. We all had to pivot quickly, move to virtual. We watched unbelievable supply chain volatility and geopolitical risks. So that connected nature and how companies manage that cannot be in a silo. And I think it's the difference between those that survive and thrive, as you said, Eric, are those that fall behind. So, you know, risk management and the enterprise risk approach is a real differentiator and competitive advantage 
uh, when navigated appropriately. So I'd love to see that in the survey. No, that's great, Laura. Thank you for that. And I do agree. And it's so interesting that how over time the risks do change and that the ability to see those risks coming on the horizon and the ability to steer their firms appropriately it will be one of the hallmarks of success. And it kind of leads me into the second question, which not surprising probably, survey results show that about half, 49% of the very prepared leaders are spending a great deal of time on climate change compared to just 26% of the other leaders. And I'd love to get your sense on it, Laura. What, what opportunities do climate risk pose in 2023? Well, Eric, as you know, climate is in every client discussion we're having today, and it's in most of those boardrooms as well. I think uh, the climate change is driving some of the largest reallocation of capital in our history. And, and some of the um, you know stats around this are, are really daunting. If, if you read to reach net zero emissions by 2050, the annual clean energy investment worldwide will need to more than triple by 2030. That is a number of around four trillion with a T dollars. So limiting global warming to just that one and a half degrees, I think is gonna be the greatest challenge. Lambros that, that we see and face in our uh, company and, and, and how we help uh, our clients build their strategy, I think is a top priority. Companies are going to have to uh, disclose the transparency around climate, Eric, is really moving up with all the regulatory pressure and then managing the stakeholders that are your investors to your employees. Do employees want to work for a company um, depending on, in many cases, uh, their culture and ESG strategy? So as I think about how we're um, helping climate uh, clients deal with climate, it really falls in three areas. The first is uh, building resilience and mitigating the climate-related physical risks. What are their risks today? And what does it look like into the future? Where are they gonna invest their capex and, and footprint uh, to really address climate? The second is de-risking the transition and the path to net zero. And every client has built their own strategy, Eric. But what's interesting is how will the insurance companies show up to help manage and mitigate that risk along the way. I know you are hosting a lot of those meetings and Lambros, you are as well. So I think that's a very open question for all of us right now, but that transition path, how do we de-risk it? And the third is how do we unlock growth opportunity and bring new forms of capital to accelerate innovation? Uh, these are the three big topics. It's uh, very pertinent this year, but we're gonna be talking about this for years to come. I totally agree with that, Laura. That was a great answer. Thank you. And Lambros, um, Lori mentioned the insurers, certainly your role as the leader of commercial risk for Aon, you have a certain vantage point as well. What can you share? Well, I think if you're just following up on what Laurie was saying and very much in in um, in tandem with what we've said before, like you can look at climate as a as a huge uh, as a huge issue through the lens of, of of challenge and difficulties, or you can run towards it as uh, as opportunity. And, and certainly climate is a good example of where we see prepared leaders continuing to focus their investments, you know, over the long term. And we saw it, we saw it in the executive survey with, with 47% of C-suite and senior executives saying that severe weather and climate change is having a negative impact on, on their business. And within that, you know, in terms of when they look at the, the aggregation, the amalgam of risks that they've been, uh, they've been focused on, you know, climate change cracked the list of leaders' top 10 risks for the first time that they're investing a great deal of time on. You know, that's risen from the ranks of 12 in, in, in 2021 and number 16 back in 2020. So 
it's been interesting to see, even though the topic has been around for a while, it's been interesting to see how quickly it is starting to ramp up and appear, as Laurie said, you know, in the C-suite, in the boardrooms of organisations. But, but with that, there, therein lies opportunity in terms of, you know, how to, how to deal with that. And I would say certainly, uh, you know, in our role, trying to enable clients in and around their decisions, whether it's, you know, reducing the volatility of financial financial balance sheets and statements, or whether it's enabling strategies for them, you know, we continue to focus a lot of our attention with the insurance and reinsurance marketplace, marketplace around how do we make products more relevant to the risks that we're seeing through the climate lens today. And it's probably fair to say, if we go back right to the very beginning in and around the notion of the interconnectedness of risk, a lot of products kind of have grown up over the years through, I would say, sort of risk silos that that didn't really respond to an, sorry, didn't have to respond to an environment of interconnectedness. But certainly what we have seen over the last couple of years is that that reality has changed. And so the way we think about innovation um, through the lens of actual solutions, the investments that we make in data analytics to understand how risk behaves across, you know, different, um, uh, different environments, recognizing that that actually is the is the reality of today you know that's a lot of our discussion with uh, with the carrier community today is how can we better understand how risk is evolving and in that regard with all of the the feedback that we're getting from clients around better fit helping the industry be more relevant to the sort of the new the new uh, risk frontier that many of the organizations are facing that's a lot of what uh, what we're doing and so you know, we, we feel that the, the client demand is absolutely there because, frankly, the pressure on companies to act on climate change simply continues to increase. And I think particularly with disclosure expectations acting as the principal, principal driver for taking a proactive stance on addressing, you know, climate-related risk and opportunity, that's going to continue to be a huge focus for us as to how we think about engaging with the marketplace around these, these needs that our, that our clients have. That was great, Lambros. And I want to pick up on one point you mentioned there, which was about supply chain you mentioned, and, and which really drives to the fact of how interconnected all these risks actually are. So if you think about supply chain and, and just from climate, for example, any thoughts on how that sort of plays its way through and maybe some thoughts from you and then, Laurie, maybe I'll, I'll get your perspective on it as well. The supply chain it was interesting. Supply chain came up as the number five uh, risk on uh, on leaders' top risks in the survey. And I think when we think about the interconnectedness of risk around climate and supply chain, it was interesting to see that almost two-thirds of business leaders say supply chain disruptions are having a negative impact on business. And as you might imagine, you know, the interconnected of that, whether it's through the geopolitical issues or whether it's through climate issues, they're ever-present in what companies and, and obviously leaders are facing today. So we do, we do see that leaders are focusing more on this. Their, their ability to problem solve in and around supply chain is absolutely changing. The way that they partner up with, with organizations is, is absolutely shifting. Um, the different way they think about supply chain is definitely, definitely taking place. So, um, you know, and I think in, in response to that, we see that supply chains can be impacted in, in just so, so many ways. But ultimately, it comes back to for many organizations, it comes back to business continuity. And regardless of what the risk causes the disruption, what can we do to help clients maintain, you know, what is um, what is a, a risk that I would say 
continues to evolve at an extremely rapid pace across just so many industries and is a global, an absolute global phenomenon. That's great, Lambros. And Laura, I know you're interacting with many of our clients at their senior most levels talking about topics like climate. Are there any other issues that come to mind when you're talking about it with those clients? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a great question. Lambros, as you uh, teed up supply chain, you know, I would say when I started my career, you, you would find out what is your client's top, top supplier. You know, you could work insurance and some risk protection around that key supplier. Now, Eric, you know, they're, we're trying to go down four or five levels into the supply chain and understand what is the interdependency of that supply chain to the revenue stream of the company. Um, so, you know, what sticks out for me is when you think about the revenue interruption, there's also a tie between climate and supply chain with the broader ESG strategy. And within everyone's ESG strategy, we're making public statements of when our suppliers will be net zero. So I would say the complexity today of how climate kind of sits as part of the ESG strategy and the commitments that we're making uh, to transparency and disclosure on, on the complexity of something Lambros like you talked about with supply chain is so much deeper today than it ever has been. So, you know, for us with clients, it, it often can feel overwhelming from their standpoint because the, the strategy that they have to build is so multifaceted, Eric, and it has so many stakeholder engagement they need to worry about. So what we're doing with many is saying, let us meet you where you are and let's start with an assessment of what is your ESG strategy? How do we work across your firm to understand where are you today, mitigate that risk on your path and understand the commitments that you've made to your stakeholders. And in many cases, it's tied to executive compensation. So this has to be a very uh, well thought out plan that is managed throughout all the different ways we have to do the reporting. It's coming up today in the DNO meetings, in the property meetings, and the commitment around uh, the talent side of that agenda in diversity, equity, and inclusion is probably what jumps out at me. So while we say the word climate, climate always sits in the context of ESG, and you can never get through the ESG strategy without talking about climate, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And often, Eric, you know, when you think about how clients want to grow, where they want to shift their assets, that also relates to how you source talent. And it just goes back to how all these things are interconnected. And then you add on top of that the complexity of industry. If we're talking to a hospital versus an energy company, um, incredibly different. So for me, this is a really complicated path that um, has a lot of tentacles that we have to sort through with our clients. And if there's a number one theme, no one has it figured out. It feels early days, and they're looking for help along the way. And that's what kind of the exciting part of the job is. <laughs> well, you're making me feel better, Lori, because I will <laughs> tell you, as I, as I read through the results of the survey, the complexity, the interconnectedness, the severity of all those risks and how they can affect the outcome of colleagues, of clients, of your firm at large really kind of jumped out at me. And I'm just wondering, so I just want to go a little deeper, like how are we helping clients make those kind of decisions and trade-offs as we go into the year? Well, and it's it's a great question. And, and you start to think about, well, what, what's the magnitude if we don't? And one, one stat uh, that jumped out at me is by 2030, the heat stress will cause 80 million jobs to be impacted by climate, 34 million alone in India. And you just start with that headline and you think, oh my gosh, how, how are we gonna do this together with our clients? 
build that strategy and, and make better decisions. So the common theme for me is really about how do we use our data and analytics? How do we use our insights to help navigate and build that informed strategy to manage across the enterprise their risk? And that's that's really why I think it's so important to anchor around those uh, input data input so they, they can make better decisions. Now we meet clients where they are in that need. It could be early shaping of a broad strategy, or maybe it's in a very focused area, Eric, such as cyber resilience, which remains on absolutely everybody's mind. So in all these areas, I'm really proud that Aon has made such a vast investment in data and analytics and industry insights so we can help our clients make better decisions and use that data to create net new solutions, which I know Lambros, your team works on all the time. And I was just going to say, so thanks for that, Laura. That was, that was fantastic. And Lambros, maybe over to you as well. I know you're speaking to clients really all over the world about many of these issues. How, how, how do you see it? How are we helping clients sort of think through some of these issues? The bar around decision-making, you know, is at a, is at a, a, a completely different level for all the reasons that we've talked about over the last while. And I say with, when talking to clients, what, what we often hear, like in every conversation, it's the, I want to be better informed. I want to understand how, how risk is evolving. I want to be better advised in and around, um, you know, how that, how that risk will evolve in the short, medium, and longer term. And ultimately, I want to be put into a position where I can make better decisions around how I manage that risk. And I think from a from an Aon perspective, you know, we're very, we're very proud around, you know, the, the, the time that we have taken to come up with a, a framework and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, a framework around engagement with clients that really responds to those three things. So when we think about being better informed, you know, that is supported by the level of investment that we put into data analytics capabilities and tools um, that help to really focus on the identification and quantification of, of new and emerging risks, recognizing that oftentimes, you know, the risks of, of, of today and tomorrow, history is not a great determinant of the future. So therefore, the way that we think about capturing data, the way we think about modeling data, the importance of predictive analytics is absolutely, you know, critical, critical to that. And then supporting that with, you know, with industry expertise and a, a sort of, I would say, a proven methodology around the discovery sessions we have with clients to really, you know, deeply understand their issues at the strategic as well as at the, at the risk level. Um, and then translating that into, you know, conversations around, well, what are the solutions that exist out there to respond to those needs? And so if I, if I move from better informed to better advised, well, what, you know, what does that feel like? You know, it's a, it's a combination of, I would say, a collaborative, you know, sleeves rolled up approach to really understanding those issues and starting to connect them with solutions that might exist out there. Um, and as I said before, the notion of of identification and quantification and understanding how risk is evolving and how understanding how risk is connected to other issues that kind of that exist out there. And then I would say really working in partnership with clients. I mean, that's where I see also a real shift over the last couple of years is the relationship with the clients around understanding their needs and the partnership with which we now um, spend time with them thinking about how to innovate more effectively in and around these new and emerging risks. You know, that's been a that's been a I think a, a dimension to the relationship that we see has 
has really evolved over the last couple of years in particular. And then ultimately we get to the, you know, the, dare I say it, the, the tip of the spear around, okay, I now need to make a decision. So how do I make better decisions, recognizing all of that investment that, that have been made prior to that? And I'd say, you know, those decisions are supported by increasingly integrated solutions, which responds to the integrated, sorry, interconnected nature of, um, of risk. And so there's a huge area of opportunity for the industry in helping to, dare I say, fill in the gaps um, uh, because, you know, risk is risk em- emerges in organizations that we have said no longer in silos. You know, it, it, it works across and up and down within organizations. And, you know, candidly, insurance solutions need to evolve to be able to respond appropriately to um, that great in- interconnected nature that exists out there. And then within that and within the partnership is a, is a tailored client experience um, and with, I, I would say, practical execution around the things that truly matter, that have maximum impact for that organization. And again, where the focus is not just around, dare I say, the protection of the, of the, of the financial statements and the, the financial aspects of an organization, but also, and, and Lloyd talked about many of these things, so think about talent as a, good, as a good example. What is it we can do to enable organizations to be more successful in the way that they execute their strategies that are most important to them. That was great. Thanks to both of you. So so this is the favorite part of, of the podcast for me. And we give the opportunity to each of you to share a little bit. I'm going to ask you a question um, to share a little bit about yourselves for the listeners. That's a little bit off the, the path of the expertise that you both have shared with us today. And so maybe I'll start with you, Laura. Um, what's the last book you read? <laughs> uh, you know, Time management, boy, that's a tough one in our lives, right? So uh, reading uh, a book, I uh, had a luxury over the holiday. So I'm glad I'm getting this question after the holiday. And I, I read a book called Lessons in Chemistry. And even though I'm a biology major, Eric, which you may not even know, it had nothing to do with why I read this book. Uh, it was written by Bonnie Garmus, and it's about a brilliant chemist who throughout the story somehow leads a cooking talk show. Uh, She's a single mother and a great role model model for her daughter. And I could not put the book down. So Lessons in Chemistry is a page turner. I'd highly recommend it. (laughs) That's fantastic. Thanks. I'll have to pick it up. So Lambros, um, sort of a different question for you. How do you get ready for the work day? So (laughs) another great question. So um, I would say, uh, so we, um, as a family, we purchased a COVID a COVID dog, COVID uh, pooch, as it were, so a mini golden doodle, uh, which has given me a great opportunity as someone who tends to be a bit of a, an early riser, or certainly an early riser in our family, um, to, uh, you know, say, walk it in and around Manhattan as, uh, as New York awakens in the morning. Uh, I, I actually found it, I find it very cathartic, dare I say it, to, to watch a city wake up. It's really interesting to see um, those that are out and about, you know, helping to, to, uh, to, to start the day for New York City. Um, and, uh, and dare I say, it gives me a little bit of thinking time um, as, I'm, as I'm walking the streets with, uh, with our mini golden doodle. So uh, <laughs> I would probably say, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, um, I'm also the, uh, uh, the person responsible for taking her out at the end of the day. So I guess I get the equalized, <laughs> equal opportunity of uh, of when New York starts to to think about going to sleep. Although 
I guess uh, in my time here, it's probably fair to say that uh, New York certainly lives up to its reputation as a city that never sleeps. So uh, <laughs> well, I think I we could do an entire we could do an entire podcast on your decision around getting a dog, but we'll talk <laughs> about that at another time. This has been a conversation on Aon and Aon's 2022 Executive Risk Survey. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this latest episode, tune in soon for our next edition. You can also check out past episodes on Simplecast. To learn more about Aon, its colleagues, solutions, and news, check out our show notes and visit our website at aon.com. 